And Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? All the time, there's a two by six in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If, if you then, though you are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What strange words from Jesus. As we try to take seriously the admonition from the Apostle Paul that we've been looking at to walk in the way of love as Christ loved us, as we've been trying to be serious about that, we find these words from Christ in, in the Sermon on the Mount. They seem, they seem unassociated and they seem disjointed. Um, they seem kind of strange. Planks and pigs and pearls, dogs and doors and dust, stones and snakes and specks. And though we're not going to tarry long in those places, we can better understand what Jesus is trying to say to us and what we want to try to understand today if we view this passage like we would a bookshelf. And if you just imagine in your mind a, a bookshelf, and, and on this bookshelf you have this stack of books, and on either end of the bookshelf are bookends. And so the bookends hold the truth of those books together, so to speak, on the shelf, right? So here are the bookends of this passage. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Bookend number one. Bookend number two. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. To understand these 12 verses in the Sermon on the Mount, we must understand these bookends. See how they're bookending all of this truth. See, Jesus brings the Sermon on the Mount in this chapter to a close, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he leans into the place of grace in how we relate to and treat one another. So looking at these 12 verses through that lens of those bookends helps us see some continuity, some congruency for us in this truth. If we're not going to stand as the judge, right, because that's where he starts. If we're not going to stand as the judge, tempting as that may be. And it is very tempting for all of us. But if we're not going to stand as a judge, then we need to remember some things that he's trying to say to us. Here they are, just a quick summary of them. Number one, practice self-awareness, not self-righteousness. Practice self-awareness, not self-righteousness. Don't let the sawdust of another prevent you from being honest about the beam in your own face. Right? Don't let, don't let this little microscopic piece of wood dust, don't let that prevent you from actually seeing the big timber in your own face. It's always easy to see the faults and the errors, the missteps, the mistakes, the sins of another. I wonder, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, I wonder, is it because we don't want to see our own that we focus on those of another? The faults of others become the device we use to not look at our own faults and foibles and mistakes and sins and failures, so, so it's much easier to you know, focus on the faults, the weaknesses, Everything that everyone else is not, but they should be. So that we don't have to focus on our own. But you know, as Scott Saul says, there's, there's something incredibly attractive about people who stop pointing their fingers at others. That stop pretending to be totally good and right. That, that there's something very winsome about people who start taking themselves less seriously and and begin to openly and freely admit that they're not all that they should be. And so practice self-awareness, not self-righteousness. Then pigs and pearls equals zero compassion. If we're talking about loving like Jesus, this is an important passage. But when we look at this, we, we, we think about don't feed sacred things to dogs or feed pearls to pigs. And we go, what is, what is that about? And most often what we do is we think this refers to the unworthiness of the pigs, right? That, you know, those pigs should not be getting pearls. You're wasting your time because the pigs are unworthy. But is that what Jesus is saying? Do you really think that Jesus is referring to certain people as unworthy as dogs and pigs? Is that consistent with the character and the way Jesus views people? In the context of this passage, when we look in the bookends, could it mean that what Jesus is trying to say to us is that when we try to force feed a pearl to a pig, we're actually not showing love for the pig? Because a pig cannot digest a pearl. A dog cannot digest a sacred scroll. So when we're force feeding a pearl to a pig, we're not really loving them, are we? We're not giving compassion to them, are we? 
when we force feed the things of God, well, we really aren't thinking about the other person, are we? Pigs and pearls. And then a third thing to remember is don't barge in. This passage has been referred to as a description of the community of prayerful love. In fact, much of the Sermon on the Mount is referred to in that. And when we come to asking and seeking and knocking, the first thing we think about is like a formula for prayer. This is the, we default oftentimes to taking Scripture and turning, them, turning it into formulae for us to follow. It makes it easy. Let's just check off the boxes, do X, Y, and Z. So, you know, you know ask, seek, knock, you know, that's prayer, right? But when you think about the basic understanding of what Jesus is saying in the context, it also points to respect, kindness, and consideration, both with God in prayer and others as a result. Asking, seeking, knocking, those are, those are aspects of consideration of another. And if we're not considerate to God and others, then God and others just become utilities for me to use. So if I take asking, seeking, knocking, and I just turn it into a formula for a way for me to figure out how to get what I want in prayer, then all God becomes is a utility to be used in life rather than a creator to be loved with all my heart. And people become the same way. When I treat God that way, I begin to treat people that way as well. And then, and then one more thing. The best from God always becomes the best for others. One of my favorite phrases from Jesus is this one. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to them that ask? I just love that. I love the how much more of God, right? God, God is so big, so big, so awesome. We don't have words. We run out of words to describe the how much more of God. And, we, and I think we should spend time just thinking more about that, about the how much more of God. As we think about the challenges we face, the issues we have, but, but this part especially, if Jeff, if you, who has such a capacity for evil as a human being, which we all do, look at our world, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, if I know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give, not just gifts, give good gifts to them that ask? We who are the most unworthy of anything good from God are recipients of great grace from God. He gives us good things, though we have such a capacity for all that which is not good. Now, all of these metaphors, all of these illustrations that we find packed on our bookshelf of Matthew 7, 1 through 12, all of these pile up on top of one another. And, and if you just take one in each individually and you don't see the whole picture, they just don't seem like they go together. 
But in doing so, they all point us to the next practice in learning to walk this way of love. The next step in loving like that, so to speak. And if there was ever a time that we needed to live these words, that time is this time. Because what we're talking about this morning is loving like Jesus means simply being graceful. But when I say that, I'm not talking about in terms of like um, an elegant dancer, a graceful dancer. One thing that I am not, right? It's amazing to me that the wide receivers in the NFL that you're going to watch today, you know, many of them, one of the things that they do is they, they work at, at dance maneuvers and they practice with professional dance coaches so they can learn how to move as athletes um, around a football field. Isn't that interesting? But when we're not talking about the grace-filled dancer or the refined and sophisticated person who just seems so graceful when you know, the queen comes walking in, when we were watching all the weddings on TV from the royal family and the queen comes in, oh, the queen looks so graceful. The truth is, it's not what we're really talking about. You can be the clumsiest, most accident-prone, graceless person in that sense, or you can be the most simple and unsophisticated and out-of-fashion person and yet be someone who loves, who loves like Jesus as no other. So all of these metaphors and illustrations point us to the beautiful phrase that very well may be the most famous of Jesus in the world. It's an idea that every moral teacher has had to reckon with, even before Jesus' time. And it's that phrase that begins, do unto others. Now, the world knows these words as the golden rule. And when you leave here today, you're going to get a little ruler, a little golden ruler to take with you to remember the golden rule. You can use it as a bookmark, however you want to use it. But in practice, it seems we get the golden rule mixed up. I, I think we reinterpret it sometimes in our world, and we misunderstand it, and it gives license to revenge and judgment and others getting what they deserve. I, I think many think that the golden rule is this, and I think if you ask people on the streets, what's the golden rule? Because many people know the golden rule. Often you'll hear them say this, do unto others as they do to you. Do unto others as they do to you. Now, at first blush, that might sound okay, but that's a great recipe for relational disaster. Because that requires zero grace. That thinking reacts to people in a contractual manner. You know, when, when you sign a contract and you don't get what you want, you go after someone to get what they get, get from them or get what they deserve so that you can get what you deserve. Or how we are prone to view people convicted of a crime, and we say you, we, they should give them what they deserve. Or when we look at someone who has completely messed up their life, we may say, perhaps to ourselves, we'll say, well, you know what? They just got what they deserved. See, that's kind of the math of do unto others as they do to you. But what the golden rule is really about is living as people who have not received what we deserve and then giving people what they do not deserve. And that is that beautiful word called grace. And the truth is, grace is the most unfair thing 
in the world. Most unfair thing in the world. If you want to treat a person unfairly, give them grace. I want you to think about that. If you want to treat a person unfairly, give them grace. According to the world, all is fair in love and war. But according to Jesus, what we need is the most unfair, undeserved thing. Grace. Let's parrot, put it this way. Grace is by definition unfair, and that's the point. If you want to love like Jesus, you can't limit your love to people who deserve it. And so the actual golden rule, the words of Jesus, call us to do to others what you would have them do to you. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Not as we've been treated, but as we would treat us if we were in their shoes. The patience you want others to have with you. The kindness and compassion you hope others would offer you. The benefit of the doubt you would want others to offer you. And not just when I feel like it, not when it is convenient or easy, but no, Jesus has one qualifying statement about the golden rule, and it's this. So in everything. Now that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? You see, that, that is a different equation than Give them what they deserve. This is, this is the new math of the new covenant from Jesus. He said it this way. If you remember in John 13, 34, the new command, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, this is how everyone's going to know that you're mine. This is the distinctive piece right here. When you love others as I have loved you, The so-called golden rule points to an equation that reads something like grace received equals grace given, or maybe better for our our math people, grace equals grace squared. Think about that for a moment. Grace equals grace squared. It seems like the real equation from the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's grace meets us, and then God's grace is multiplied through us. Grace equals grace squared. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. I mean, it's the idea for sure, at least, at the least, that we should give a wide berth of grace to one another. And if I could, after three decades of being a pastor, it seems to me that this is a message we certainly need in interacting with people outside the church. But honestly, honestly, we might most need it Right here, within the church. Right here. You know, I came across some words from Robert Peterson, and I just read them, and I went, hmm, yep. If we can't love others the way Christ loves us, then perhaps our faith is illusionary. I mean, Jesus did say that, you know, they'll know that you're mine if you love one another. Love that lacks the power to transform our relationships will never convince the watching world that it is divine love. Therefore, it becomes irrelevant. Oh. You know, we're all, and it's, and it's not one person. We're not singling anyone out. We're talking about us. We're all very quick to jump on one another. Sometimes we're too 
quick to pile on. We're so quick to see others' faults. We're quick to categorize our brothers and sisters. But that's not new with us, right? I mean, it's not new with us. That's why Jesus talks about planks and pigs and dogs and tors and stones and snakes to the religious of his day because they dealt with the same issue. That's why later in the early church, the apostles said things like this, like Paul said in Colossians 3, which we looked at a number of weeks ago, that as God's chosen people, we're to put on a new set of clothing, right? And look at the, look at the, the descriptors. Clothe yourselves, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So, so in the early church, they're writing, they're saying, you know what? They had to dress the same thing. And then these words from James just so capture me. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. And I think we'll grab that and go, yes, it needs to be pure. And the last part, you know, it's, it's good fruit and impartial and sincere. And we say, yes. But look at that middle. It's peace-loving and considerate and submissive. That means releasing control. So there's this amazing picture of what this is really about. And yes, those words from Jesus, love one another, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. Grace equals grace squared. Grace received equals grace given. And if not, is it really grace at all that I've experienced? Or is it only something that I consume from God for my own personal benefit? But this most golden of rules reminds us that the heart of all this, the heart of all of what we're talking about is the boundless grace of God that we have received. Such grace we are to imitate. So no wonder when Jesus gives us the golden rule, he ends it this way. This sums up all the law and the prophets. And there's only one other place where Jesus uses a formula like that. He says, this sums up all the law and prophets. There's only one other place, and that place ended this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This sums up the law and the prophets. And that is what makes this rule so golden. It is the golden rule of love. Loving God so much that it transforms me and enables me to love others as I've been loved. So as we find our way today to this table of the Lord's Supper, I wonder, could all this be restated this way? Do to others as God has done to you. As God has done to us who don't deserve his grace. 
And yet, our good, good Father gives us good gifts. Do to others as God has done to us, who's given us this wide birth of grace. As we said last week, he said, come. Come. You see, this table of communion is intended to search our hearts. Not to search my neighbor's heart, but my heart. It invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good in his boundless grace towards us as realized at the cross. This table points to the game changer for human life. Today in the Super Bowl, there's going to be some play that's going to, the whole game is going to turn on. Boom. Well, this is the game changer right here. For all of human life, the love of God. And as Anne Lamott said, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. So it is with this table of grace. It invites us not to measure our neighbor, but ourselves. It invites us to recognize how unworthy we are of his great love and how wonderfully graced we are by his love. It invites us to walk to this table and then walk from this table, giving of the grace we have received. Every time we gather around this table, it is time for us to measure ourselves against the love of God. And every one of us is found wanting because none of us deserves it. But here's the good news. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father in heaven give us grace when we ask of it? And this table says to us, go and do the same. So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Because this sums up everything God has been trying to tell us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and prepare for communion today. And I'm going to invite Pastor Serena to come and we're going to prepare for communion today. As we participate in communion, I invite this section and this section to come to this side. I invite this section to come to this station. And as we come today to the table of the Lord, I want to invite you as, you as we hear and as we sing about the deep love of God. Do not leave the table unchanged. Come and embrace the love of God. Maybe today you don't feel like you're deserving of that love. No one here is. That's not a disqualifier for this table. Probably the person who's most disqualified for this table is the person who says thinks they should be loved by God, that they deserve to be loved by God. 
But when we humbly come and we submit to him and we say, Lord, we're amazed by this love, this amazing grace. I invite you to come. Let his love wash over you. There's some place where you've gone wrong. There's someone you haven't treated right. There's some way in which you can, you know, that ruler, man, I'm not measuring up to that. That's the reason why you come. To recognize that, to seek his forgiveness, and to live and walk away from here a different person. I want to invite you to come to the table of his grace today. And then we do to others as God has done to us, but this is what God has done to us. This is what God has done for us. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ.